Welcome back to the Dad Chronicle. I'm your host, Alex Albisu. This is episode 82. Now, before we get started, I want to remind you, you can visit thedadchronicle.com. Make sure that you click one of those links to your favorite podcatcher to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Also, we have a lot of really great patron rewards. Want to thank all of our patrons for your support of this show. When you head over to thedadchronicle.com, there's a link to our patron site. Check it out. Uh, Every little dollar helps. So if you want to support this show, that's a great way to do it. Today, I bring Wendy Dunford back to the conversation. So this uh, whole conversation was actually spawned by uh, somebody's idea in the Dad Chronicle community on Facebook. Uh, special shout out to Brian, um, who, who wanted to learn more about uh, how to communicate and build relationships with your teenager. So who better to talk about that with than a mom of teenagers herself and a licensed therapist? Wendy and I start our conversation by talking about what goes on in the mind of a teenager. If you're an adult raising a teen or just spent five minutes in a restaurant near a table full of teens, you're going to be very aware of like, oh, I think our brains are different and you would be right. We also talk about the impact that social media has on this generation growing up. I mean, this is just a great experiment. We're like, okay, let's give this tool to all of these growing brains that gives them a steady stream of dopamine and is pretty dang addicting. And let's see what happens. And finally, we talk about the parents' role in this entire situation and how parents can level up. And that's maybe what we all ought to do is print it's not about me on a t-shirt and wear it the whole time we're raising teenagers. Right. Because it really is not about us. Here's my conversation with Wendy Dunford. Hello, Wendy Dunford. Welcome back to the Dad Chronicle. How are you? I'm well. Thank you, Dad. Yes. (laughs) Do I I call you Dad? Do I I have to call you Dad? I mean, you can if you want. (laughs) I mean, I have a daughter that calls me Dad already, so it's up to you. Okay. I'm but, just getting you prepped for when a, an adult voice calls you dad. It's oh, that's terrifying. A weird thing. It comes very quickly. So just preparing uh, yourself. Yeah. I, and it already is weird because Aria is like two and a half going on 18. And so mm-hmm. just that, ugh, so much sass. But enough about Aria. <laughs> let's remind people about you um, because you have been on this show before. You came on. We talked about destigmatizing the idea of of therapy, you know, for your kids and, and, uh, and that entire topic, it's so important to talk about mental health, especially in family situations. So, um, why don't we take also just another quick moment to talk about your credentials, who you are and about your family situation. Okay. So my name is Wendy Dunford. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, uh, and I do psychotherapy on the regular. So, Um, I think this gives me some credit in the discussion that's coming up, but my main credit is really going to come from, I am in the very dark trenches of raising two teenagers with two more to come. So, um, you know, on one hand, I think I know some things and on the other, I am completely at a loss. So we'll see (laughs) how. We'll see if anyone finds this helpful <laughs> <It's> <laughs> or if be, they need to come rescue me. I mean, that's you'll be totally, that... you'll be totally fine. I think that, you know, we were talking about this before. I mean, the fact that you, uh, you think that, you know, this is challenging means that you're actually really trying. So that is, uh, right. that, that's a good sign as a parent. Um, yeah. so let's talk about this idea of, you know, we have teenagers in, in this world of ours. Teenagers are historically difficult to parent. And there's a lot going on in the life of a teenager from hormones to everything going on with school and extracurricular activities, not to mention their very complicated social life. So what exactly is going on in the mind of a teen? (laughs) It's a great question. Okay. So if anyone is listening, I'm going to, I'm going to have great advice for those who don't have teenagers on how to prepare for this. Um, But if you already have a teenager, we should just hold hands because this is, this is hard. And, and, you know, I, you're going to have had this experience if you've even been around a teenager. They don't seem like the rest of us. Um, and we were all there, but when you were there, you have no awareness of this difference between you and other adults. Um, but if you're an adult raising a teen or just spent five minutes in a restaurant near a table full of teens, you're going to be very aware of like, oh, I think our brains are different and you would be right. So the part of the brain that is attracted to shiny, new, risky kinds of things um, in a teen brain is bigger than it is in an adult. So it will shrink as someone grows to adulthood. Um, so this is, this is one component, that they're more impulsive by biology. 
So they're more likely to jump off that thing or go chasing something that's dangerous or with their friends kind of making really seemingly stupid decisions because their brain is doing it. Yeah, I know a lot of adults that would be that way too. So what's (laughs) up with that? They haven't grown up or something. But here's the thing. There's a counterbalance to this, especially in adulthood. But when when you're a teenager, it's not developed yet. So the prefrontal cortex is the counterbalance to that. That's the part that says, hey, think this through. Think of it as like, you know, your assistant or your secretary that's sort of, no, you can't do that. You know, you are busy. You should do your homework. That part of the brain um, helps us make good decisions, good decisions. And in teen brains, it's smaller than Mm. it is in adult brains. So we're exactly the opposite on those two things between a teen and an adult. So what that may mean in the end is that a teen is more likely to do impulsive, dangerous, risky behaviors and not have the um, assistant in the front of the head going, okay, stop and think this through. And that actually, that part of the brain does not fully develop till you're 26. So if you're, you know, you give your, be nice if you're not 26 yet. But after that, I don't know, get yourself checked or something. But <laughs> it's, a, it's a very uh, universal experience. Our brain structure actually is different. Um, so that's one thing. Now add gallons of... <laughs> Hot boiling hormones through your brain. <laughs> I was wondering um, where the gallons was going to lead. Yeah, to. gallons. I yeah. don't know the actual amount, but it's a lot. So this is the other thing adults and teenagers have in common is we have the same amount of hormones shooting through our system. The difference is it's brand new for the teenage brain. And for us, we're just used to it. But if today I took all your hormones functioning away and then made you wait a couple of weeks and then gave it back to you, you would be a teen in how you would feel again. Like, Ooh, really? Yeah, because it's, it's that you're used to it and that your body is adjusted and responded. It's necessary, but you've adjusted. Whereas a teen, imagine it's like the first time in an acid bath, their brain is like, what is this? So they are, their mood swings and anger for no reason, crying for no reason, um, you know, getting offended for all the reasons. One thing they do that's really common is they find their sweet caregivers the most annoying things on the planet. So if you are a parent of a teen, you know that your child can't stand to listen to you breathe, can't stand sometimes your presence. They just don't like you sometimes. And now think of your sweet little two-year-old. She adores you, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so take pictures because (laughs) at some point... Her brain will actually, and this is part of this natural separation that is supposed to occur developmentally around this time of figuring out who I am, what I believe, what I think, and we can go more into some of the jobs of a teenager. Um, But as that's all occurring, there is this reflexive, like annoyance with parents. Some of it is we have the rules and we're the ones that, you know, decide if they get the internet or whatever. But it's also this differentiation of I'm not you and you're bugging me. So we've got the hormones that kind of play into that. So as a parent, it's really tricky because we are used to our kids at least remotely liking us. Mm. And then it feels like overnight, they think we're the worst. And that can be pretty hard. Yeah. Oh, well, and I, I'm sure that you, uh, as now the parent of a couple teens have experienced that in, in some varying degree. Is that accurate? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Every, yeah. And I have a problem. So don't do this. <laughs> okay. Um, but if my children ever act like I bug them or I annoy them, what I do, this might be abusive. But anyway, I up the behavior to the point where they will be just grateful if I go back to my regular behavior. So, for example, <laughs> my kid's getting out of the car to go to middle school. And that's a horrifying place, I understand. And as he gets out of the car, I say, I love you, bud. And he says nothing. And usually he says, I love you back or something. So he gets out of the car. And I was like, oh, no, you don't. And I roll the windows down <laughs> and I open the sunroof because that is like even better effect. Yeah. And I just start yell singing, I love you, Abraham Dunford. <laughs> oh, my Until God. he comes back and goes, I love you, mom, and slams the door. So good. So, so here's the thing. Solve that problem. He says, I love you every time he leaves now. And part of that is he knows, like, if I think she's embarrassing now, she has the capability to actually be horrifying. So I don't, that just came naturally. I don't recommend it. However, it did work for that one kid. I'm sure it will backfire on another one of my kids. So, you know, stay tuned for oh, what happens I can't, there. I cannot wait to hear 
about how how this just evolves or devolves. No, that'd be devolve is probably the right word. <laughs> so I wanted to throw a couple other things out. Speaking of stress um, that you put on your kid, they this poor generation of kids has more stress than is even remotely fair. You know, I mean, I don't know, Alex, when you were a kid, if you were aware from second grade on that your grades in ninth grade counted towards getting you into college. But kids today yeah. know way more, feel way more, take on way more. And, and there's lots of reasons for that. Um, one is that parents today are, have massive expectations on their kids. Um, and so the kids feel that. Um, teachers, testing, you name it. All sorts of things are going on that's saying, you know, prove that you can do this. It's not a very carefree childhood when I look around anymore. Um, so to, to recognize that teens also, so we've got the hormone bath going on. Yeah. We've got the brain development as it is. We've got lots of stress um, just from an academic perspective or for kids who are uh, you know, struggling with finances in their families. Maybe it's jobs. I mean, yeah. I have a kid who his, his swear word currently is to uh. say, call people boomers because- He's so angry at baby boomers oh for gosh. ruining the planet. What? And yeah. So there's just, and it's all the kids at school. I mean, th they have a very strong understanding of current events that not, I would have not had a clue when I was their well, age, that, but just awareness. Yeah. That's something I was going to ask. Cause you know, you're talking like very briefly about how, uh, kids today have, you know, we were talking a little bit about how the job of a teen, right? Like yeah. this job is way more is way harder than when our generations were growing up how right. like how is that tangibly different i mean does the internet have something to do with it does the uh does is the responsibility the amount of responsibility really that different well and i would say that the responsibility potentially isn't that different it's that their sources of input have quadrupled so maybe when we were kids it was like your mom was bugging you to do your homework. Um, but your teacher was not going on and on about a test that you had to prepare for that meant he or she would be uh, validated as the teacher because her students tested right. well. So you can see even just right there, we've got one more input that has changed in the last 20 years. Um, just sort of the way teachers have to teach to a test in, in many places. Right. Um, and so there's one. The other, and this one kind of gets into this other part of teenage life um, that is really significant, and that is the social games that teenagers play, and they have to play. Yep. Um, so the biggest difference is you and I would go to school, we would chat and talk to friends, we'd make plans, maybe we'd hang out after school, maybe we'd talk on the phone a little bit. But our social lives ended at some point. And teens today, it can be 24 hours a day, um, and it's such a different kind of socializing that is, we're not really developed in order to do. Mm. We're pretty advanced enough that a phone call we can manage because we can hear tonality in a voice and we can pick up what someone's saying or, or, you know, kind of empathize that way. Like we're human connecting, even if it was just voice, but now we're doing it through words, um, in a text or whatever, and then pictures and, you know all of those different things that can be misread so easily. And this is a stage of life where the, what they're doing is they're looking at all the people around them going, who am I? I'm not you. I'm not like that. Mm -hmm. And then the problem is this isn't just their little local circle. This is people around the world. And yeah. so the, the comparison group can be just overwhelming. So real quick, just to be scary, um, we have some interesting statistics that are coming out in the last five or six years, because that's really when social media for the youngest of our teens has exploded with Snapchat and TikTok and all those things. Sure. So, you know, forms of this have been around for a good while, but we haven't, I mean, this is just a great experiment. We're like, okay, let's give this tool to all of these growing brains that gives them a steady stream of dopamine and is pretty dang addicting. And let's see what happens. And one thing we know, um, and I could, give you links to some of the studies if people are interested. Yeah. But sure. just the increase in depression and anxiety among young teens. And um, this one that's just haunting to me is there's 187% increase in cutting behavior among 10 to 14 year old girls. Oh my God. So, so we're not seeing the same increase in boys 
in that same sort of those behaviors specifically. And there's a couple of reasons. So let me throw this out for anyone who's like, um, I don't get what's happening suddenly to my sweet daughter when she turned 10 or 11. Um, there is this important developmental milestone of figuring out who you are within your social context and who's the alpha and who's going to get teased. And this is why bullying and those types of things are the most dominant in middle school and early high school is it's around that age. People start to navigate that. And, and what happens is boys have traditionally um, navigated those things physically. So there is a, you know, everyone's seen a bunch of seventh graders fighting in the parking lot, right? Like Mm -hmm. this physical dominance is kind of the way they do that. And girls have always done it a little differently. It's not physical, it's social. So there's social violence is a way to think about it. It's leaving out somebody. It's getting your friends to actually target somebody. It's it's rarely one-on-one, you know, fight it out and then everyone just kind of moves on. It's yeah. it's much more complicated. Um, and, you know, if you've ever seen the movie Mean Girls, that's a great example. Yo, girls are mean, man. Can tend to happen. Yeah. And so here's what we're thinking because, you know, some of the stuff is really new that we're we're looking at. But the assumption is that this social violence or, or social sparring that happens among girls, which has happened for a long, long, long time, how they navigate this, it's being done online with no limits and, and without empathic responses. So if you see a a child crying and you and your friends are making fun of that child, there's going to be at least something that's triggering your brain. Maybe you push it down and still, so you can be cool, whatever. But a bunch of those things are missing in these contexts. So what you you've got is this sort of 24 hour opportunity to feel pretty crappy about yourself. Yeah. So can I I ask um, also just on that, on that, uh, on that note with, this is such uh, an interesting time to be growing up because of the internet and this constant awareness of social everything. Yeah, cyberbullying is huge, and I've I've brought up this topic a lot on this show. I mean, what are you are you noticing? Uh, it, it, does cyberbullying have an immediate effect on this increased, um, you know, anxiety level? Just in general, is this really due to the internet? I, I don't know that for a fact, but I'm telling you, I have been watching sort of what has happened you know, in real time as I'm raising my own kids. And yeah. I'm, I'm a bit of a, my son would call me a Nazi, but um, I'm a bit of a, I'm pretty careful about what they can do and what they cannot do when they get phones. So we were living over in Sweden um, and pretty much every kid had a smartphone in their hand by nine. And so my kids were the only ones without them. And it was actually true, not just rumors like kids trying to get their way, but it was actually true that my children were the only ones without cell phones. Wow. Um, And there was a a reason I, I can watch a child go from happy, interested, creative, laughing to, you know, a 10 year old into a sullen, very sad kid. Um, when they've just spent a lot of time. So part of that is sort of dopamine letdown, mm-hmm. right? You're just getting lots of input. Um, you're not moving your body. You're not interacting with people. Like some of the stuff that just makes us healthy as humans, they just do less of because of their screen time. Um, the other thing is potentially happening is just sort of the quick pace of refresh, right? So when we were kids and we'd watch a cartoon, the refresh was every three seconds, four, five. Now it's a second or, you know, I'm not sure on the numbers exactly, but it's much, much quicker, much quicker pace. So it's, it's sort of affecting attention, socializing gets affected. So there's all sorts of things that are happening. Can we pinpoint it all to, oh, it's the internet. Um, I mean, it's easy to, to blame it on technology. People have been doing that for a long time. Socrates blamed writing. It would be the ruin of all the planet because Whoa. our brains would get saggy if we, if we wrote or read books, you know? Wow. So it's been around a long time. The difference this time is just the sheer amount. Um, you know, you can only listen to the radio so much. You could yeah. only, you know, write so much. Or you, There were always other parts of your life that, that came into play, but now you could literally never do one other thing besides consume content. And so you've got these kids that don't know how to regulate this stuff. Again, remember their brains are going <clears> to <throat> move them towards risky, exploring, interesting kinds of things. And then the part that says, Hey, stop isn't big enough. 
So when we start really young, that can, can really have, um, negative effects. So, so I did want to say this one thing. Um, so I've worked with teenagers off and on in my practice and they hate me at first, but (laughs) why, um, why do you think that is? Well, well, they hate me when I say this. Okay. So when they're younger, like 10, 11, 12, 13 year olds, I, I, I have their parents stop, um, access to all the things that are cur- and these are kids who are really struggling. This isn't like, you know, just your average kid who needs to cut back a couple hours a week or something. You know, these are kids are just really depressed or really anxious or really angry. And we just start with this one thing. We just do a little test where they have a month off. And that's a long time when you are 12. But a month off from all the things that you got to do on the internet. Maybe there was, there's a couple family things you can do, like you watch a movie together Maybe you can play video games with a family member, but it needs to be a real person with you in engaging. But the rest of your time is doing all sorts of other things in your life. And I've watched time and time and time again, a, a very different child walk into my office six weeks later. Wow. That stresses me just, out thinking about that, by the way, as, a, as an adult. <laughs> they're happy. I know, exactly. And as, an, as adults, we're all just as addicted. None of us are, are, are innocent of this, including yeah. me. Um, I just know that what the thing is doing with our brains. And so my, my job with my own children has just been to get them to go as long as possible without having all the things. Um, and you know, my 14 year old, he's a freshman in high school and he just lied to us. So we took his phone and it took, I think five hours for him to be back to his sweet self. I was like, oh yeah, we should just never give you this phone back because he's just, yeah. So it, I think it exacerbates the, I think it exacerbates the teenageness a little bit. So right. for example, if you followed your kid around in school and you're watching all those social interactions, you'd go, huh, he's moody or he's, you know, trying to figure out this stuff. But imagine that never ends. And that's kind of what they're experiencing. So mm-hmm. we have to be careful and mindful and know our own children and what they need. Um, so, so actually, can I jump into what the job is of a teenager? Because yes. I think yes, sometimes please. that's helpful Yeah. To, to think about, um, you know, what is the, well, what is the, the thing that they have to accomplish, you know, before they become an adult? And right. it's not simply, yes, it is get used to your uh, surging hormones, right? You'll get used to that. And your brain will develop. This is why certain use of certain drugs is so dangerous because our brains really are not fully developed until we're 26. So, okay. So here's, here's a just quick 10 tasks of adolescent development. So they need to adjust to sexually maturing bodies and feelings, which is a lot all at once and pretty tough. Um, especially when they're growing and they're big and awkward and, you know, they just look like puppies tripping over their feet all the time. It's like (laughs) that. Um, so getting used to that. Um, the second one is developing a and apply abstract thinking skills. So they have moved from about nine, 10 ish from concrete thinking to abstract. And they're very cute and earnest about it, but they have thoughts they've never had before. They see things that you, they used to think were all good or all bad. Suddenly they can see the gray and the nuances. And this is a big time in their life to figure out what they're thinking and what they believe about something because now they have the ability to abstract think. Right. Um, so that can be a little scary for parents, especially if you have a very strong philosophies about certain things, you're going to guarantee that your kid's going to at least, uh, think about going the opposite direction. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that's a, that's one of those things they have to do is um, develop this abstract thinking. Mm. So number three is develop and apply new perspectives on human relationships. And that's part of this social dance that's happening, yes. getting to know the other gender or who you're attracted to or how to have friendships, you know, all of those things can be really, really daunting, but that is one of those important jobs here. Could I, could I actually Um, touch on that note? So, you know, you you think about how it is becoming, you know, I'm trying to think of the right word to use here, but more socially aware, socially accepting of, you know, sexuality, um, gender roles, et cetera. Um, do you think that that has anything to do with, uh, with either varying levels of anxiety and stress and depression, like among kids, has it become, has it been easier for kids today? Or do you think that it's still just as challenging? 
Well, I think there is a, I think it's going to be challenging no matter what. I do think there's options that never were socially acceptable before of, mm-hmm. of either um, sort of fluidity in your sexuality or gender identity, various, you know, there's sort of choose your own adventure a little bit that is, um, there's more freedom to do that. And so there's going to be kids who have always had to be in a closet because of how they felt as they were developing. And so they, yeah. you know, could not publicly say that they, they, they pretended to be something they weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now that that freedom is available, there's going to be a lot of kids that are going to be happier, um, because they don't need to hide. But I do think that means there are lots of confused kids at different stages, trying out lots of different things. And one thing to, to point out that can be really helpful here is that nobody is done. They are just starting this. So as a parent, it's so easy to freak out. Like this kid who lied to us, this is definitely not his first time lying. Um, turns out he only lies to us. <laughs> he doesn't lie to other people, to teachers, to friends, which so everyone, you know, everyone thinks he's super honest and we're always like, no, he's not. He's a liar. <laughs> um, and so it's so easy for me to think, this kid's going to be a liar forever and go to jail. And like, he's going to steal things. Like I can go down that track pretty fast because I'm seeing this character flaw right now. Um, but just like your sweet little two and a half year old who is peeing in the potty for the first time, she will eventually, that won't be her challenge. She will just know how to pee in the potty. Um, and it's going to change to a different phase. She's going to get more stubborn or she's going to get really sweet. Wait, she's and that's the hard thing. You want the sweet to last, but it doesn't either. Wendy, she can't get more stubborn, can she? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I should warn you real quick. Anything, any, the way your child is at two, three, three and a half, that's how they are when they're 11 to 14. <laughs> it's going to so be a doozy. <laughs> you better, uh, I don't oh. know, move to the middle of nowhere. Um it's, it's sad. I, so I've got these four kids and so far the first three are exactly the way they were when they were two, two Whoa, and a half. Wow. And the last one was a nightmare. So, oh, um, boy. I will talk a little bit about that, about getting tired and what to do about that because yes. that comes and it's really pretty dangerous for kids when parents get tired. Yeah. Well, you know, you <laughs> so. were talking, you were talking about the, the top 10 things. Yes. Okay. So, so back to that. You, um, so they new relationships. Okay, another one is to develop and apply new coping skills such as decision making, problem solving, conflict resolution. So, ooh, okay, um, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, the let's see, the fifth one is identify meaningful moral standards, values, and belief systems. So this is why kids, you know, kind of the the optimism of youth and the you know sometimes the angst. I mean, you can find it all in these sort of. They're really looking for what their values are and what their belief system is. And they're going to see holes in yours and Mm. they're going to point them out (laughs) and, or, you know, kind of find their way through thinking through some of these, these things in, in different ways and their own ways. So that's an important part of this. Um, Number six, I think understand and express more complex emotional experiences. So using their words to really get better at, at understanding this, this is why they got to talk on the phone so much, or this is why, you know, there's lots of chit chat that goes on. Um, they also need to form friendships that are mutually close and supportive. Um, they establish a key aspect of identity. So that can be lots of different things, but that's this identity forming stage, right? Mm -hmm. Um, meet the demands of increasingly mature roles and responsibilities. They start to drive, they start to, you know, get jobs um and navigate homework and all of that in college um and then the last one is renegotiate relationships with adults in parenting roles hmm. so that's a big one which leads us to parents yes how so so what is the parents role in all of this because i could imagine that that parents there's a there's a weird uh you know phasing of your relationship yeah. it's there there's an evolution uh, of the relationship how how does that change between a teen and a parent? Well, and one one thing to th- think about, we've through research, we have a pretty good sense that what works parenting young children works for adult or sorry adolescent children in the same kind of general ways. It's in the particulars that you have to adjust. So, for okay. example, love and concern, 
you're paying attention, um, you are present, you listen, you teach, um, you care, all of those fundamental things, none of that is going to change um, or shouldn't change. You really want to keep that up. It's just how you do it because you obviously can't do the exact same things you do with a toddler. They can't pick them up when they're crying and <laughs> screaming. <laughs> um, and so communication is going to be probably your biggest challenge to adjust because they communicate very differently when they're teenagers. So, so let me go through. I'm going to give you five basics of parenting an adolescent. Love it. Um, I'm giving you lots of numbers today. No, that's good. So number one is to love and connect. And this one is really important. As your teen is increasing in maturity, you need to offer support and acceptance of them. So it's so easy to think, okay, have you grown out of this yet? Or don't you know how to do this? There's a bit of like, you're genuinely going to wonder if your kid's a little bit dumb because they just <laughs> can't figure stuff out. And you've got to just know that this too shall pass. And this is a stage and it's important. That's part of figuring it out. Yeah. Your job in that sense is to Stay connected and express acceptance and love and praise them for the, the maturing and make sure you don't shame them for not being mature because yeah. it comes differently for every kid. You're going to maybe have one kid who does this quicker and another one who's slower. It's not about you. And that's maybe what we all ought to do is print it's not about me on a t-shirt and wear it the whole time we're raising teenagers Right? because it really is not about us. Um, and so to have some education about what that looks like and how to do that and what's normal can be really helpful because then you realize, oh, unlike potty training or teaching them to ride a bike or eating vegetables, it doesn't require so much of me physically being there. It, remind, it, it requires so much more of my patience, my ability to shut my mouth, my ability to listen and offer support even when they're, they seem a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> okay. So that's one. Another yeah. one is to monitor and observe. So think about what you do with a young child. You are, your job is to monitor them, make sure they don't burn their hand on something or, you know, when they trip, you kind of help them get up and you do those different things. It's no different for a teen. You need to let them know you are paying attention. So recently my son's um, friend's father called me and <clears throat> he was kind of bugging me. I was in the middle of doing some stuff, so I couldn't get back to him. So I texted him. I said, hey, um, my voicemail is screwed up right now, so I'll call you back later. Um, yes, your daughter's here. I'm home. Everything's good. Well, he thinks it's fake <laughs> because it sounds fake. Like, oh, my voicemail uh. doesn't work. So the dad's worried, and you know, later we connect, and I just said, oh, I apologize. My phone's really stupid. And he said, he was like almost ashamed that he was worried about her. And wanted to make sure she was following a rule because, like most teenagers, there's a tendency to try to get away with stuff. Yeah. And he was apologizing. And I said, oh, no, no, no. Do not apologize. We're in this together. I have the same rule. My kid can't be somewhere where the parents are not. And yeah. I, I think we need to have a meeting. <laughs> right? Like everyone, <laughs> we're in this together because it can feel very isolating. Yeah. Um, but you you are monitoring and observing and you're you're letting your teen know that you're paying attention and that you care. You know, you're, they're going to get away with some stuff, and they should. That's pretty normal. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, you should know where they are, who they're with. Um, they, they just, and it, it connects back to that love and support. They know you care because you are making sure you know what they're doing. Right. So that's no different, and yet a little harder to do because your kid, <laughs> as a two-year-old, they think it's great to have you there. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's great. A little harder, a little harder when they're older. She's so always going to want two. me there. Wendy, don't you say that. She's always going to want me to hang out with her. Mm -hmm. okay. No, not even, <laughs> not even for a minute when she's 11. Um, so we'll just let you live in your fantasy yeah, for a while. I, I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. Okay. So the number three one is to guide and limit. So this is, um, you know, the same thing you've been doing. Here's the lines. We don't cross those lines. Right. A kid needs a limit to know that they're loved. So if you take a kid whose parents let him do whatever he wants and they really don't check up on him and maybe he has one or two things like he has to be home by 5 a.m., you know, like pretty much nothing. I'm, if I could get that kid alone and give him some truth serum, he's going to tell you he doesn't feel loved. Mm. Um, and so there is a difference between no boundaries and thinking that's love and then so many boundaries that you're smothering the kid. So this is the kind of a fine line to dance. Um, 
but that going back to this idea of your relationship with your child is kind of the most important. You used the word role earlier. Yeah. And I think of motherhood or fatherhood not as roles. I know everyone does. That's kind of the common way to talk about it. But I don't think of them as roles so much as thinking of them as relationships. And there is a time in your life where your relationship with your child is one where you're the bad guy. And this is when you're a teenager. Yeah. They should not like you the whole time. Now, can they kind of like you? Sure. But if they only like you, it means maybe you haven't said no <laughs> and you mm. and you should have. So there's a there's a it's a hard dance to dance, but um so there there should be guidance, there should be limits, and they need to be clear. Yeah. And if there's a two parent home, you gotta talk all the time about this and yeah. get sort of your united front polished all the time because man kids do their best to break that apart and then if you've got a, a family going in two different directions and different two different homes you've got lots of other challenges there um and seeing if you can get on the same page with the other parent about the limits and boundaries that can be really powerful yeah you know could you touch on some good ways for maybe co-parenting to be effective here, especially with teens? Like, are, are there any tips or suggestions on ways that, that that could be a, you know, as good of a situation as it can be? Yes. Um, you know, there is a resource online called Parent Up dot wherever you're from, Kansas, Vermont, you know, you can just search Parent Up. And it's an awesome resource about how you can co-parent and the concept is you're parenting together and parenting up, meaning it's the best version of your parenting you're going to do. Right. And you do it together and you, you get both of you committed to this. And these resources are, so it's not one of you going to the other one saying, okay, do this. You're not doing it right. We don't want to recreate any of that, but this gives um, both partners good, good research, good information and ways to navigate, you know, challenging things with your kids. Yeah. So just the first thing I can see, the parent up for Vermont, that's my first Google search, and it has all teens are at risk of substance abuse and other serious issues. <laughs> um, and it goes right into, like, what are we going to do about it? So treating your partnership as parents sort of with this nice academic background of, like, what's good? What yeah. can we try? And so there doesn't have to be a whole lot of my opinion versus your opinion. We both have a resource we're using together. Yeah. Um, cause that is a really challenge It is uh, like, I am happily married to a fantastic father. And I think, are we going to make it through these? <laughs> <teenagers? Because laughs> they are, they're, they, their job is to like set the soul from all living around you. It's hard. It's really well, hard. So what are some of the ways um, that you guys are, are doing that? Well, like what, what are some of the ways that you feel you guys are succeeding? Um, you know, I think the, that's a great question. Um, I think the, there's a couple of communication things that we're doing that I think have been helpful. Um, number one is keep it short. Do not let them catch you monologuing because here's the thing. They're not listening. They're like doctors. They'll listen for 17 seconds. And then after that, they're done listening. Um, they really cannot listen to you lecture. So it's the irony of all things is that we lecture because we, we, we think we have a window. We're going to say the things we want to say. They really won't hear it. Right. Um, your actions speak a thousand times more um, effectively than your words. So try to keep it short. Um, another one, I, I, I've mentioned this on many shows. So maybe it was on our last one. I'm not sure. But to grab yourself a sucker and put it in your mouth and just listen. When yeah. they feel like talking, it's like a window. And if you don't let them jump through that window and talk, you may not get it again. So really, really try to be quiet and listen. Um, That's and hard then, to do, man. That is hard. I, I could imagine. I mean, so I'm not. Hard. I'm not there yet. But like, I could imagine that that would be really hard. It is because it's. You know what it is? It's at 11:30 p.m. <laughs> and you're super tired. Yeah. And they show up in the foot of your bed and like, hey, and you're like, what? Because <laughs> you are exhausted, but it is the window. Yeah. And they, their sleep is all jacked up. Um, it's actually supposed to be, and it's painful for all of us, but their their natural bedtime is closer to midnight as a teenager. Oh, really? And their natural wake time is more towards 7, 8 in the morning. Um, and so when you – so right now, your little sweet girl went to bed at what, 7 or 8? Uh, she went to bed at 7.30. 7.30. 
7.30 that this like freedom you have to do what you want right now yeah. will end no, because... Don't say that. The, t the time they're alive and awake is now. Ugh, the bubble's um, bursting so hard right now, Wendy. I know. I'm so sorry. But it's... it's And this is why when families have like a teenager and a small child, I don't, I don't know how they do that. Do they never sleep? Because Ugh. it's the exact flip of schedule. Yeah. And... Um, what's cool where we live, they have, um, switched all the high school start times to eight 35. Oh, and good they, were, for them. they were seven before. Yeah. And it's because the research shows that these kids, that's not natural waking time for them. And I talked to a, a bunch of students just recently and they're like, I have never felt better. Good. Like, I oh feel like God. I can do school and they're happier and they don't have to go to bed at nine, which they couldn't, they'd lay there. I mean, so you have all sorts of challenging things happening to this these kids brains and it means your life gets pretty skillwampus and so i would say one last thing i think my husband and i are doing fairly well is it, it's like a team sport mm. we have to have like in, get in the huddle <laughs> like what are we actually doing right now <laughs> and like what's the play and whoever says they're gonna say a thing the other one just backs them up it's just an automatic Mm. Um, and you know, kid will yeah. come to, I'm the nice one, by the way, Oh, so, I may okay. not sound like it, but I'm definitely the nice one. So yeah. they'll come to me and they'll ask. And the first thing I say is, have you talked to your dad? And they'll be like, Ugh. and then they know it's not going to work because once I talk to him, he'll say, he's already said, no, that's usually what's happened. Um, but this idea that like, they know we're a united front, they will still try to attack that. Don't you worry. But, yeah. so we talk a lot. We have a lot of like, hey, here's a kid, 15 minutes, we only talk about what's happening with the kids and then we need to have another life. So we talk about other things, but to, to reconnect about that and what we're doing and why, and we, we kind of remind each other of our philosophy, like, what are we doing this for? And why is this important? And the parenting style, we kind of, it's like we're a little cheerleading, co-cheerleading in a huddle trying to figure out our next move. So to really work with each other could be very powerful, but I recommend right now, if this is scaring you at all, go take a class together. To get united around a common philosophy of parenting can be so powerful. So for example, you can do that when your kids are little and it's like, yeah, all right, great. We do natural consequences. Great. Everyone's got the same language, the same ideas, and they, they can work to make that work. Teenagers, the same thing. Take a class. You'll feel like you're not alone. Um, and that's pretty important. So, so, so as, if I'd sum that up. Yeah. Basically, teenagers are big toddlers. And they they, they <laughs> don't so make any sense. Like a toddler doesn't make sense sometimes, right? Like, yeah. what are you doing? Why? It's very similar. And so if you need a kid to make sense, you should get out of the parenting game. <laughs> <laughs> they don't make sense. Um, but they need certain things to eventually get to a place where their brain functions like a human uh -huh. and they make more sense. Um, and so some of these things like, love and connection and you know the guiding or monitoring them having them know you're you're watching a little bit guiding and limiting the things that they're doing there's two more modeling and consulting that means mm. you are modeling the stuff you're saying like you cannot be a hypocrite and i think the number one place where we're all hypocrites going full circle here is how we use our phones oh amen so if to that. we're yes yeah so if we're putting Okay, so recently I met a guy who runs a bunch of clinics. He's this really big therapist in another state. He's a really, really nice guy. And he came up to me and he said, he's telling me this story. He said, I went on a walk with my daughter and I'm a therapist. So I asked her this question. I'm like, so who, who do you think is the most important to, to me, to your dad? Who's the most important person in my life? You know, maybe mom, maybe um, the kids, you know, or values. What do you think is important to me? And he said, they kind of got towards the end of the walk as she, as he's asking this last question. And he said, she didn't skip a beat. She just said, oh, your phone. Oh, man. And walked into the house. Oh, man. And, he, and this was 10 years ago. So that's because, again, his business required him to be on the phone so much. This isn't even social media. This is just work. And so she, I mean, he, he said, I have worked every single day to reverse that belief in her. She has, she gets to choose what she thinks is most important to me, but I'm not going to let it be that she thinks it's the phone. So oh that God. if we all sat our kids down right now and said, what, what's the, what do you love the most? And they could be really honest. It might be Facebook or it might yeah. be Twitter 
or it might be whatever, because we are not present with them a lot. And there's a reason we're exhausted and we're, we're getting dopamine and everyone's addicted. It's really hard. So to really focus on what you are preaching and to make sure you're modeling that behavior is crucial. If you said nothing about phone use and use it all you want, okay, at least that's better than preaching constantly that, you know, the phone is the devil and then they see you on it all the time. Right. Wow. Yep. And with that, so modeling good behavior. And then part of that is to consult with them. Um, You're helping them make big decisions and don't make them for them, but be a resource, be available, be open. Um, those windows will open where they will want to know what you think. So keep it short, but you know, be ready to answer that. Um, sometimes you're going to give advice and they're not really going to listen. And, you know, you can kind of leave it a little more like, Hey, here's a thought. I don't know. And kind of walk away. They, they love you and want to please you. It's just hard to tell when they're a teenager. And so you don't want to make things about you. So say the kids like trying to decide, what class to take and you can go through all the things with them like because you care but be very careful not to hint that you want them to take the math class because you love math you know so so to be aware of your motives can be really powerful but to be consultants with them as well as them with you this is one thing we've done and i think it's working i don't know it could backfire so ask me in five years but (laughs) um we do a lot of um having them help make us help us make decisions that are appropriate so for example, um, you know, where maybe we would go on a vacation or I have them help pick the meals and help make the meals. And I have them decide maybe, okay, there's these things you have to do as part of our family chores or whatever. Now you can choose the ones you want to do. So there's this feeling like we're in this together. Hey, there's this money we saved because everyone turned the lights off. Great for the last month or something. What should we spend it on? You're giving them practical practice in adulting. Mm. What we're finding is that freshmen in college are a ripe new group to study because they're falling apart. Yep. They get there, they're having panic attacks. In fact, I'll just tell you quick, some quick uh, research. I think it's Yale who just put this out or no, it's the American College something. Anyway, so in 2011, they were um, noticing a huge influx in um, freshmen having panic attacks for the first time. Hmm. So they never had any anxiety things happening before that they had, you know, known or this kind of acute onset of an attack. And what they found is when they started doing the numbers that it was 30, this, and this was just females that they were measuring at this point, 31% of female freshmen were having a panic attack during their freshman year. First time. Wow. And you think, oh, that's terrible. That's one in three. Well, the 2017 statistic is 62%. Oh my God, what? So in six years, we have doubled the number of young women who are having panic attacks their first year away from home with full adult responsibility. Holy and when, cow. If, if, if you're like an old person listening to this right now, you're thinking, oh, kids these days. No, that, it's not fair. It's not fair because you were neglected. <laughs> And these kids have parents that adore them and want them to be successful and are trying so hard. But the unintended consequence is that the messaging is that these kids can't do it or that so they're afraid of risks or they only will do something if they know they can do it well. Um, And that's all this pressure and all this stress and all this expectation. And then parents clear away problems. So, you know, I don't know about you, but if I, my friends and I all piled in a car and a tire broke on the side of the road we would have to figure that out because we didn't have phones oh someone would help us we'd all try to change the tire it'd be one of our favorite memories so we learned to communicate to navigate to solve a problem we might have had to walk five miles i don't know but we would have navigated it today you call immediately your mother who comes and runs and gets you right so a problem is solved in 10 seconds now is that the mom's fault or the kid's fault no it's just modern life but what it means is some of the the muscle building that comes from those moments of, of figuring stuff out on your own just don't happen. And then we have a lot of evidence that young women are staying home a lot more, mm. watching Netflix, playing on their phones. They're not getting that practical out in social settings practice that really does help you feel more so, capable like, and competent. Yeah, like what, what's the answer to that then? Is there a fix? 
Well, I have one that's pretty radical, and I don't think anyone will do it, so I hesitate. <laughs> well, no, throw it at me. I'm curious. Okay. I mean, mine is that you it, – it's got to be a collective effort. It's got to be – I mean, one thing is, you know, you get all these stats. You show it to your your local principal, like your elementary school principal, uh-huh. and you say, look at this. And can we, as a community of students and parents – Talk about this because every single parent right now feels alone when it comes to how overwhelming the demand that your children have for screen time. And you feel like a bad parent sometimes. Sometimes you have a choice. You know maybe it's not good, but you got to work today or whatever. You just, there's always some guilt there. And then there's families that, that they don't do any of those things and they think they're better than the rest of us, <laughs> right? Yeah. I guess. So you have people just genuinely struggling with this. But if you had a collective group of, here's some stats. Hey, parents, let's educate you on what's happening. I mean, my husband works in computers. We know how to lock down phones. We know how to monitor. We know how to do things. And I'm a therapist. My poor children, right? But (laughs) so many parents don't have a clue about that. Yeah. So the kids just doing the thing and getting addicted or doing, you know, is online getting, is, is in unsafe places. Um, and they just have no idea, no, no idea what to do until the kid is really showing some symptoms of, of problems. So if we collectively met and talked about the stats and what could we do, you could get most parents to agree not to let their kids do Snapchat till they're in high school or some version of like, because what happens is, and this is the number one challenge is all the kids are doing it. And yeah. it really is true. It's not simply a saying of all the kids are going to this party. They are all online. They are all connecting. Or maybe they're not. But how, how do we know? We can't tell. And so we don't want our kid to miss out. We don't want them to be isolated. We want them to feel good and feel social because that's important. And yeah. so we end up letting them do a lot of things that they're maybe not ready for. So is I, my, my philosophy is just is we, if we can wait as long as possible. And I know that's asking a lot. Yeah. Um, but as long as possible. And the best way to do it is with their friends to get parents communicating together about let's do this together as if it's like collective parenting in some ways. Right. So yeah. kind of radical, but I, I think it's, it has some possibilities. No, I think that that's, that's totally valid because I've always been a fan of the phrase, it takes a village. I think that that's so true mm-hmm. when raising kids and it's not just relying on your immediate family. It's, it's about, you know, really your tribe, the people around you who spend the most time with you and your family, um, you know, uh, they have a huge impact on, how you um, or how your kids perceive the world in a, in a lot of cases, and I think that that's yeah. certainly true. And, yeah, you know, which I, leads to real quick the yeah, fifth yeah. thing I was going to oh, say yeah, about yeah. parenting teens is to provide and advocate. So providing is that supportive home environment, and then the advocating mm. is well. So, sorry, I should say more. It's a little more than that. It's providing, um, you know, sort of the physical stuff. Um, quiet, peaceful space to study or, you know, even just to feel safe and loved and warm. I mean, it's very, very basic stuff. And then the other one, the the advocating has more to do with, um, you know, making sure they're not being bullied, um, making sure they're sort of getting any mental health care that they might need, you know, sort of making sure there's resources that maybe some communities have and some don't, but advocating for maybe your child has a different kind of learner or your, or your child is feeling socially sort of isolated, you know, advocate for some of these barriers to be taken down that, um, and, and to, to much serious, more serious ends of poverty or racism or oppression or violence, you know, those different types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one last thing is to build your community, You're, you were talking about that, of other adults that care about them. So it can be teachers and leaders, maybe church people that you, you attend church with. It could be neighbors, but that you have others besides you that care about how these kids are doing. So maybe it's that they join a team or that they, uh, you know, modern childhood, you know, my childhood was go play outside with 30 kids on the street in the dark. That's what we did, <laughs> right? And modern place. childhood, there's no kids outside. They're no, not in groups roaming around playing kick the can. Yeah. And some places there are. I'm not saying it's 100%, but less. Yeah. Um, and so we, so that there were other people kind of keeping an eye out and there was a neighborhood base. And I think now you've got to create your own. You sort of find other caring adults that maybe it's a scout troop or it's a, a dance 
group or, you know, other people who care and connect because this is kind of an overall sad thing to report to all of us is that parenting a teen, sometimes you're the least influential in their life. So we're important. I'm not saying we are not on the, on the grand scheme of things, but on any given week, they're going to hear something from a teacher or some other sort of community leader that they would not hear from you. (laughs) So that village idea is really, really powerful. Um, and, and I think that using the term here as in more of like an absorbing of the information, right? Not necessarily just hearing it in physically, but actually like yeah, absorbing yeah. it. Yeah, because yeah. aren't they 25 when they come back and say thanks and you knew stuff? I didn't know you knew stuff. Oh, yeah. For, I was yeah. one of those so, kids. I remember going yeah. up to my, my parents one day. I was like, hey, you know what? I apologize. Also, thank you. Like kind of one of those conversations. I don't know if you've oh, ever had that, but like that, that was, is so good to hear. Uh, I, I was one of those kids, you know, I, I don't think I was a bad teen by any stretch of the imagination, knowing other people that, that were right. really a lot harder, but I don't think that there is one person on this world who could be like, yeah, you know what? I was the easiest kid to raise. Right. Otherwise you're delusional. I think that's right. Yeah. right. Now, um, you know, I, this has been so tremendously just helpful. Like, honestly, this has been amazing. Um, you know, I, I always like to end the show kind of on some words of wisdom and, and I'd actually like for this to be a little introspective for you, you know, thinking about your current experience, raising teens and parents who may be listening to this. And and this is actually a, a, a quick shout out to Brian in the, in the dad chronicle community who um, requested that we have some kind of a uh, an episode on raising teens, and this is going to speak a lot to him. What would you say to somebody like Brian who uh, may be struggling or you know just finding challenge in raising teens? Yeah. Um, first of all, Brian, you are not alone. Hi. <laughs> we're we're all in this together. <laughs> I mean, have you walked around? There's there's the new parent look, you know, like exhausted, bleary eyed. Mm-hmm. You know, they're kind of struggling with a, a stroller or whatever. Yep. Um, just go find a, a parent of a teen. They have a similar look. It's kind of a bleary eyed crazed look and a powerlessness. It's, it's, it's such an adjustment and really, really tricky. So my advice would be this one thing mm-hmm. is if you already have a teen, then it would be to learn to apologize yourself. Hmm. Um, there's so much power in being aware of what garbage you brought to that moment and saying you're sorry for it. Um, and having that humility. Um, this is not about, you're not going to show them your we that they didn't win. None of those things. I don't know maybe what you're thinking, but it really is. If you think about it at the core, your relationship. Hmm. So right now you're the parent of children and parent of teenagers um at some point you'll be the parent of adult humans um and so you can say oh i always have a role i'm always telling them what to do i'm always protecting them here's my job but if you can rearrange your thinking a little bit too i will always have a relationship with them Mm. what kind do i want do i want one where i'm always right and they're pretty much always doing it wrong or that I'm big and what I say goes, is that the relationship you want? You can create that by repeating some of those behaviors. But to really find some awareness about your own garbage you bring to these moments, and nine times out of 10, guys, it's you're afraid. I'm afraid Mm. that my kid's a liar. (laughs) I'm afraid that my kid is never going to leave my basement. I'm afraid, you know, fear is a very strong motivator. So if we can just, you know, maybe find support, other parents to talk to, our partners, and we can express some of those fears, they have less power to control us in those moments. So kind of twofold, check your garbage. It's probably fear. Say it to somebody else, not the kid. Don't let it leak out into the kid and, and apologize when you've done something wrong. Um, can be very, very powerful. And then a big one is to just take care of yourself, get your sleep. Now, here's the, the, the sadness of when teenage life hits is it's often at a stage in most people's career that's particularly stressful. Um, they tend to be making more money than they used to, um, or there tends to be you know, more responsibility, maybe less time at home. So you're thinking, I got all this freedom because I don't have kids all at home 
that need me so much or whatever, but it might mean that you're even less available and, and it might, so, so there's some stress there and some tension there, but um, very important that you give quality time where you are chilling and you're available to listen to them, that you're just kind of there at the crossroads, maybe when they get home from school or after basketball practice yeah. or, you know, create some rituals. What do you guys do on a Saturday or Sunday morning? I, you know, there's a lot of power in making pancakes mm, um, yeah. and having that smell waft through the house. And it's just something you always do. So start to create, if you haven't already, create or solidify some of these things that you, you do together. I have this bizarre example. I, I met a man who was desperately trying to connect with his teenagers. And so he looked around him and he looked at families that seemed happy and connected and he just copied them. So he bought a boat because boat kids and parents, they all got along and his kids hated boating and never wanted to go. And then he saw other families that were musical. So he bought a giant grand piano and he, ex- his kids, so expensive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that was the shocking part. Like, what are you doing? You should have at least tested your theory anyway. So he's got this beautiful grand piano and his kids, he thought they'd all sing around it. Like what planet are you on? So what he was failing to understand is that you don't, and it's tempting. I'm going to make it an experience and then they'll all get along. Um, but it's about that relationship. So I don't mean go start something crazy. Your kids have zero interest in really look at them. What do they like? Maybe it's not something you like, but try to go there. Yeah. Say they like the opera and you hate it. Go to the opera. I want to meet um, a kid that likes the opera. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, kind of figure out, figure out them and meet them a little also very much take care of your own stuff in your own life. Um, yeah. That can be really tricky. And then really quick, can I give some advice to yes. the, you, the people like you? Yes, please. We don't yet know what's coming. Yes. You start this process right now. Okay. This process right now of, I have a close connected relationship with my kid. They're giving you all the fodder you'll ever need. You just, you just douse it in flaming gasoline and that's what they'll be like as teenagers but they're they're showing you right now some of the propensities they'll have their interests the way you connect now so work hard to connect um start rituals now what do you guys do on a saturday morning you can do it for a lifetime um you know finding finding what can work later by sort of figuring this out now and and remembering this closeness is it's going to get strained through the teenage years, but they usually come back to it. Hmm. So it isn't a guarantee, but it tend to, you tend to think of it as like a boomerang or something, right? Like you're kind of making the wood, <laughs> making it nice, and then it gets thrown and they kind of just need to get away from you. And they're going to test that in a lot of different ways, but they come back and they say, thanks dad and mom, you were great, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you really think of it in terms of relationship and building that relationship. So starting young is just easier. I really love that. Um, and, you know, talking about like what we do on Saturdays, like every Saturday I take her to swim class and like, that's what we do together. And it's such a special time. Like I really do enjoy it. And she learns a lot and, and, you know, we're playing in the water and, and she's, you know, learning life skills and, and it's genuinely fun. Like that pool time is something that is probably going to be a thing that we do for yeah. a very long time. Perfect. Yeah, totally. I love that. All right. Well, very cool, Wendy. Thank you so much. This has been so good, as always. I'm, I'm not. I'm not even surprised. It's just so much value. Hey, um, anything going on that you wanna you wanna pimp on this show? Anything fun? <laughs> you know, uh, I. The, oh yeah, because lots of parents listen to this. I will pimp my friend. Um, is just one of the coolest people. She's one of those people that you, um, when you're parenting near her, you. Like together and we're doing the best we can and like that's an important thing to find people that you can parent around where you feel like all right we don't have to be perfect but we also kind of motivate each other right. and have each other's backs big deal anyway she's awesome and she has started this little business so this is not like you know i'm not, I'm not pipping anything too exciting but that's good she it's, it's called four keeps bags f-o-r-k-e-e-p-s-b-a-g-s and she is um, a mom, a bunch of kids, and she makes these bags out of, uh, I'm not even sure what the material is. They're awesome, though. She sent me a bunch. We have used them 
constantly. Okay. Every parent needs these. So okay. the one I have is it's got like a gallon size one with a couple small ones. I think it might be the Liberty Park lunch set or something. I'm not sure. Anyway, one of these, um, she sells a bunch of them. She sews them all herself and they are fantastic for snack. You just wipe them clean. So you can just put messy food and fruit and uh, it's perfect for if you're a grandma, or if you got toddlers. Anyway, it's great. So I'm going to pimp that it. just because I have nothing else. To pimp, hey, that, and that's, I love these bags. <laughs> no, that's totally cool. I love it. I will put a link. I'll find it on the Googles and, and, and put it the in the link. Um, yeah. And, and one other thing I forgot yeah. to tell you, I have a little resource. I think that would be really helpful. Lots of, lots of good, um, research based stuff on mm -hmm. it. It's called actforyouth.net. And they've got a whole adolescent toolkit on there. They have younger right. kid advice as well. This is through MIT. So there are no slouches. Ooh. Um, anyway, it's fantastic. Lots and lots of good resources and ways to think about some things. So. That's awesome. I will put links for all this stuff in the show notes. So people listening right now, you will see it there. Um, Wendy, thank you again so very much. Uh, and, and you guys can also check out Wendy over at the morning stream on Thursdays, uh, providing awesome advice there. So you can just go to frogpants.com slash TMS, I believe. And, uh, and that's another thing that she does. Um, so again, our guest has been Wendy. Thank you, Wendy. You're welcome. Thank you again to our guest, Wendy Dunford. Uh, God, like amazing wisdom as always. Um, so check out all those resources that uh, she was sharing there towards the end of the show and really throughout the show, actually. I'm going to have some links in the show notes here. Uh, if you have any questions about any of the topics that she brought up, um, feel free to ping me and I can reach out to her directly and, uh, and engage that way. The Dad Chronicle podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed what you listened to today, give us a five-star rating on iTunes and consider supporting the show. If you head over to thedadchronicle.com, there's a link to become a patron. And we have a lot of really awesome rewards for our patrons. So be sure to check that out. And if you would like to chime in on the conversation today, like I mentioned before, you can email thedadchroniclepodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to follow me on social media, you can search for me at Alex Albisu. Last name is spelled A-L-B as in boy, I-S as in Sam, U. And just a reminder, we have new episodes of America's Next Top Podcaster going live now. Um, so the new season's coming up. Be sure to check out all of that content over at americasnexttoppodcaster.com. My friend Brian Ibbett is putting on an awesome show with a lot of friends of mine. So be sure to check that out. Thank you as always, and I'll see you next time. If you like this show, check out more great content at incastmedianetwork.com.